Our New Testament reading is taken from Matthew chapter 11. I will read verses 2 through 11. Hear the word of God. Now when when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, it is by your word that the worlds were called into being. Speak your word this day and change our world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The argument of this sermon is somewhat complicated. Or at least as I was writing this sermon, I was having trouble keeping track of where things were going. So let me begin by giving you a road map of the argument so that as we go meandering down the highway and the byways of this sermon, we might actually have some idea about where we're going and we won't get car sick along the way. And let me begin this road map by giving you the destination, the conclusion of this sermon. And that is this. If you are blind... And want to see. If you are lame and want to walk. If you are sick and want to be well. If you are deaf and want to hear. If you are dead and want new life. If you want things to go well with you and with your children. Then come to Jesus and be united with him. Union with Christ is the cause of all of these blessings. That's the conclusion. Now, here are the premises to this argument. First, the law of God reveals 
the mind of God. Second, God promises that if we follow his law, it will go well with us. Third, Jesus Christ not only reveals, but is the mind of God. Fourth, wherever Jesus went, people got better. And fifth, if we want to get better, if we want it to go well with us, then we need to get ourselves to Jesus and to be joined with him. The fifth book of the Bible is called Deuteronomy. In that book we read the law that God gave to the children of Israel after they were rescued from Egypt and before they entered into the promised land. The Israelites were in the wilderness. They were at Mount Sinai. They were living in tents halfway between Egypt and Canaan. The chosen people had been rescued from slavery, but they were not yet established in their new freedom. And standing midway between those two points of their spiritual journey, between their nearly instantaneous rescue from slavery in Egypt and their much more gradual, unfolding, slow-building, steady flourishing in the promised land, midway between those two points is Mount Sinai and God's unchanging law. The law of God is for free People. The law of God is for people who have been set free from unthinking, compulsive slavery to sin. People who are enslaved to sin say things like this. Hey, this is just who I am. I can't change. Don't ask me to be something that I'm not. I'm just being true to myself. People enslaved to sin are similar to animals whose behavior is entirely ruled by and determined by instincts and not by reason or by free will. At our house, we have a Welsh corgi. His name is Snuffy. He's a very sweet dog. He's a very compliant dog. But there are some things that this dog simply will not do. You can't get him to eat tofu. You you can't get him to laugh at your jokes. You can't get him to do his business when it's raining. You can't get him to walk on a leash without making other people think that you're trying to kill him. He just won't do it. And that's because he's snuffy. And he's determined by his snuffy nature. A dog trainer understands a dog's instincts and works with those instincts to get the dog to do what the trainer wants. You really can't get a dog to do what's not in its doggy nature. And in that sense, an animal is unfree. It doesn't have a free will. But the law of God is for free people. There would have been no reason for God to give his law to the Israelites while they were slaves in Egypt because they couldn't have followed the law anyway. There's no sense in telling a slave that he has to take a Sabbath every seven days because only the slave master determines the work schedule. There's no sense in telling a slave to give a tithe to the Lord because the slave has no money of his own. But when we are set free, Then we are free 
to follow God's law. The law of God is for free people. People who have been set free from external compulsions or internal instincts. People who have been set free are able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Free people can say, I can live a life of integrity and honesty. I can live in peace with my neighbors. I can live a life of service to other people. I can live a life of kindness and gentleness. I can live a life of sexual purity. I can live a life of healthy hard work. I can live a life of self-control. I can live a life of joy and contentment. I can. I can because I have been set free from the bondage and the compulsion of sin. I can because I have been set free from unthinking animal instinct. I can because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of the law of God. In Hebrew, the Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words. And in John's gospel, we hear that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Nine times in the book of Deuteronomy, nine times in God's book of the law, we read the phrase, that it go, that it may go well with you. Keep his statutes and commandments, that it may go well with you and your children. And that you may prolong your days. Deuteronomy 4.40 Walk in all the ways which your Lord God has commanded you. That you may live. And that it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land which you shall possess. Deuteronomy 5.33 Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 6.18, be watchful and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children. Deuteronomy 12.28. So how are we doing? How is it going with us? Is it going well? Do you know what I want for you? For 2018, do you know what my heart's desire for the people of HVPC is in this coming year? Let it go well with you. I want it to go well with you and with your children. I want to see you happy and satisfied. In your home life, I want to see you at peace and filled with grace. In your work life, I want to see you prosperous and content. In your worship life, I want to see you deepening your relationship with Christ and with his followers. I want your bodies to be strong and beautiful. I want your minds to be sharp and engaged. I want your hearts to be filled with joy and delight. I want it to go well with you. And that's not a crazy thing for me to want. Those are not idle desires. Those are not foolish pipe dreams. Because I know that we follow a man in whose presence the blind receive their sight. And the lame walk and the lepers are healed. And the deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the poor people 
have good news preached to them. If our preaching is not good news to poor people, then it is not the gospel. In the presence of Jesus, things go well. In the presence of things of Jesus, things go as they should. In the presence of Jesus, things go as God intends them to go. And that's because Jesus is God. When Jesus was born, God stepped into the world, this world full of troubles, this world which has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Jesus stepped into this world and the blind received their sight and the lame walked and the lepers are healed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to new life. Jesus steps into our world and all around him things begin to go well. In our reading from Matthew chapter 11 we have a very interesting exchange between Jesus and the followers of John the Baptizer. John is in prison. He's been thrown into prison by King Herod because John called out the king on his immoral behavior. Herod was sleeping with his sister-in-law, and John tells him that that is not okay. It's not okay for you to sleep with your sister-in-law. Of course, Herod knew that it wasn't okay. He just didn't want anyone to say it. When we sin, we usually know that we're sinning, and then we get angry with people who point out our sin. And if you're someone with power, like Herod, you can use your power to punish the truth-tellers, which is what Herod did. And so John is in prison. Jesus' ministry has begun, and John has been watching it with keen interest even from his prison cell. And he sends words to Jesus by way of his disciples. He sends word to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? What John wants to know is, are you the Messiah? And Jesus' answer is interesting. Because he doesn't say, yes, I am the Messiah. He doesn't say, yes, I am he who you have been waiting for. Lots of people, of course, have claimed to be the Messiah both before and after Jesus. Jesus doesn't bother to make that claim for himself. Rather, he says, look at the fruit of my ministry. Look at what's happening. Now, we say the proof is in the pudding, which is a weird way of putting it. Because originally the phrase was, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, if you want to see that a dessert is good, you you take a bite. Jesus says a similar thing. By their fruits you shall know them. Jesus said that when he was warning his disciples about false prophets. In Matthew 7, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now if you recognize that second sentence, it might mean that you were here last Sunday. Because last Sunday we heard John the baptizer say exactly the same thing in Matthew 3, 8, and 10. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John says. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It is very easy 
for us to call ourselves Christians. It is very easy to call ourselves children of God. Gosh, it's even easy to call ourselves the Messiah. But John and Jesus are telling us that we will be judged not by what we say about ourselves, not even by the publicity that we send out into the world about ourselves, not by words, but we will be judged by our fruit, by what we produce. Are we bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Or do we stand in danger of being cut down and thrown into the fire? Jesus felt no need to make any claims about himself. He just says, look at my fruit. Wherever I go, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Those fruits are Jesus' credentials. Because he is the Son of God, he doesn't have to say that he's the Son of God. But wherever he goes, God stuff happens. Miraculously, spontaneously, Jesus moves through Galilee and people were healed all around him. One day, when we go to live eternally with Jesus in the New Jerusalem... One day we will be in a world where there is no death and no decay, where there is no poverty or no sickness, no sadness, no disappointment, because in that world, the pure, radiant goodness of God will pour off of Jesus and touch everything in that city. During the four weeks of Advent, we prepare to celebrate the feast of Christmas, the anniversary of the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of God into this fallen world. We celebrate that world-changing event because when Jesus was born, God came to be with us. And his very presence with us changed our world. Now, you and I live between two Advents. The first Advent when Jesus came into the world as a helpless child, destined to be a sacrificial lamb. And the second Advent when Jesus will return in power and in glory and he will judge the living and the dead. And during this in-between time, during this time of waiting, it can go well with us if we are united with Christ. Because Jesus is God, there is no way for things to not go well with him. Because Jesus is God, wherever Jesus is, things are better than they were before. And when we are united with Christ through faith, there is no way for things to not go well for us. So what does union with Christ look like? Dr. Marcus Peter Johnson, a professor at Moody Bible Institute, writes the following words. In the New Testament, we find literally hundreds of references to the believer's union with Christ. To cite merely a few examples, believers are created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10, crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, buried with Christ, Colossians 2.12, baptized into Christ, 
Romans 6, 3. United with Christ in his resurrection, Romans 6, 5. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. Christ is formed in believers, Galatians 4, 19. He dwells in our hearts, Ephesians 3, 17. The church is the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, 15. Christ is in us, 2 Corinthians 3, 15. And we are in him, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. The church is one flesh with Christ, Ephesians 5.31. Believers gain Christ and are found in Christ, Philippians 3.8 and 9. Furthermore, in Christ we are justified, Romans 8.1. Glorified, Romans 8.30. Sanctified, 1 Corinthians 1.2. Called, 1 Corinthians 1.9. Made alive, Ephesians 2.5. Created anew, 2 Corinthians 5.19. 517, adopted as sons and daughters, Galatians 3, 26, and elected, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Every benefit we have as Christians, every bit of fruit that we will ever bear in our Christian lives is the result of our union with Christ. As Christians, we need to expect more from this life in Christ than we currently do. We need to recognize that our life in Christ, that this life between these two advents, is a foretaste of heaven itself. And anything up to the extreme pleasures of heaven are appropriate for our lives in this world. As believers, we have been joined to Christ And we have every right to expect our lives to be intensely good because we are joined to the source of all that is good. We have every right to expect our lives to be deeply joyful because we have been joined to the source of all joy. We have every right to expect our lives to be richly blessed because we are joined to the source of all blessings. We should be greedy. For the good things of God. And not rest content with anything shabby or shoddy or less than glorious. C.S. Lewis in a sermon that many of you have read titled The Weight of Glory said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now here's the honest to God truth. Some of us this morning are walking around blind. Some of us are lame. Some of us are sick and deaf. Some of us are spiritually dead and haven't heard good news in a hundred years. And we really need to wet our appetites for the good things of God. We shouldn't be content with the status quo. Oh, this is good enough. Oh, it could be worse. For weeks now, 
The children have been adding to their Christmas wish lists. I've been posting mine on Facebook. We need to be doing the same thing. We need to be asking God for good things, for big things, for things that will really and fundamentally change our lives. As you all know, the really big things in life are not the things that are outside of us, but changes inside of us. You've all heard the saying, if you want to feed a man for a day, give him a fish. But if you want to feed him for a lifetime, teach him the fish. The big stuff is the change inside of us. This Advent season, we need to be asking God to make big, beautiful changes in us. Changes that will make us better people. Changes that will make us more of a blessing to other people. Changes that will make our lives sweet and satisfying. Those kinds of changes will begin with an honest spiritual assessment. Where am I blind? What does God want me to see that I'm totally missing? Where am I lame? Where does God want me to go but my legs aren't strong enough to carry me? Where am I unclean? What do I have going on in my life that God wants to purge? Where am I deaf? What does God want me to hear that I'm totally shutting out? And where am I dead? What parts of myself does God want to raise up to new life? When the Israelites followed God's law, things went well for them. And wherever Jesus traveled, the blind received their sight and the lame walked. Nearness to God is nearness to God's blessings. Don't expect good things from God if you are running in the other direction. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This Advent season... As the feast of Christmas draws near, may we draw near to God and prepare our hearts to receive Christ. And may we in our union with Christ have a foretaste of heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, the whole world will pass away, but your word will stand forever. So give us ears this morning to hear your eternal word. And as we meditate upon your eternal word, may we be changed internally. May our minds begin to think a little more like your mind. May our hearts begin to look a little more like your heart. We ask this for our blessing and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right.